We've been looking in our evenings together at some basic concepts of growing spiritually. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just really enjoy spending time with the basics. Um, I've, I, I need to be reminded of that often. And so I hope it hasn't felt too rudimentary or elementary for us. Um, we've been talking about um, some basic things and um, and as we've as I've shared some of my experience, I know some of you have have uh, have seen similarities to how God has led in your life, and it's it's a wonderful thing to see how God leads in each of our lives in different ways. Now, this evening we're going to be looking at a lamp for our feet, how to grow spiritually, part three, and. Let's just bow our heads for an additional word of prayer as we begin. Father, I just want to agree with, with Jane's prayer. I want to ask that your spirit would be here, that we might have your spirit speak to us. Lord, it's not just enough that it's here in this camp meeting. We won't be satisfied unless we hear your voice speaking to our hearts tonight. We're living in, we believe, the last days. We believe you could be coming soon. We believe you want to come soon. It's really up to us. And so I just want to pray that tonight you would bless us as we open your word, as we study its pages, as we think upon its meaning and importance for our lives, and, and help us as we come from here, Lord, to, to have something practical, have some encouragement, to have something that we can take away and help us in our walk with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I still remember when I was in college, I was a part of a musical group that um, we took a trip to Asia, and um, as part of our time we spent um, in Malaysia, um, uh, one or two of our members were from um, the country of Malaysia, from Western Malaysia, and um, they had contacts in other parts of Malaysia. We sang at some Adventist centers in Eastern Malaysia as well, and um, there was in, in, I don't remember if it was in Kuching or somewhere there, there was, a, um, there was an Adventist convert from a tribe far up into the jungles of Malaysia. And um, this was over near Borneo in, uh, in quite remote areas. And, and this fellow knew the local dialect, the, the, the aboriginal language up here in these mountain villages. And so um, he had a real burden and he had convinced one of the individuals who was coordinating our trip that we should spend a weekend out here in these villages. I could talk all evening just about that one weekend and our experience out there. Um, it was a, it was a hot hike. In fact, um, we were we were we were a choir, but um, we we had some instruments as well. And they thought you know it would be neat if they saw instruments. So I remember I still remember I had um, well, I think one of our group was carrying a guitar, and um, I had on the back I had my regular backpack, and then strapped to the back of my backpack was a violin case. And um, so we're hiking out here into the middle of the jungle. It was Friday, Friday afternoon, and. Um, we passed through a couple of villages on the way, stopped, and did a little bit of medical missionary work, I guess. And um, I remember one village we came to, and it was so hot, and we were just perspiring so much. And, and I said, um, you know, I'm going to go down. Of course, the villages are along a little river, and so I'm going to go down, and I'm just going to cool off in the river. And I took my shirt off. I was down there all by myself. I took my shirt off, and I was just splashing in the water trying to cool off. It wasn't very deep. You know, it wasn't deep enough to, to really swim in. And I'd been only there for a few minutes, and I looked up, and on the bank of the river, up above, about 30 feet above on a bluff, I saw a solid line of people watching. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget my trans the, the, the translator, the local guy that was with us. He happened to be walking by up there when, I, when they were all gawking. 
and um, he, 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 he said, um, do you know what they were saying? And I said, no, but I'd like to know what they were saying, you know. He said, they were saying, look at that peeled potato. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we head out into this, this, these jungle villages, and this is a part of the world where I thought only National Geographic went. You know, I didn't think that I would ever go to a place like this. I mean, this is, they didn't really wear clothes, and they live in these longhouses. In fact, I have a picture from that, from that weekend. This is one of the first longhouses. Um, some of them were, I'm not sure how many of those are from our group and how many of them were from the village, but um, there were, there were, um, there were, there were just lots of people in the village, but they all lived in one or two of these longhouses, they called them. The whole village was just like two longhouses. They were all just door after door after door after door. And um, when we finally came to one, we arrived at, uh, to spend the night, um, and they actually, believe it or not, way out here in the jungles, um, they had some generators, and um, they sometimes had some lights. Um, but. But here they were, um, we got to this one village, it was very, very dark, I think it was Friday night, and um, they, gave, they, they, they arranged our, our, our lodging. The ladies were going to stay inside one of those homes in the longhouse, and um, the men were going to stay outside on the veranda there, on the front porch, basically, with our sleeping bags, and um, of course, do, do guard duty, I guess, I don't know, something um, brave and macho like that, and um, feed the mosquitoes and all the rest. <laughs> and... Um, but we were so hot and sweaty, we said, well, we need to cool off. And the, the, ladies, the ladies were going to use a shower inside the back courtyard, sort of, of this longhouse home. Um, that worked okay until they saw faces peering down there, too. Um, <laughs> but we decided it was, it was pitch black, and they dammed up the little creek along the, along the village there. It was, it was nice, fresh, clean water, and it was probably waist-deep or so. And we said, you know, we're going to go down there. We could see the flashlights and everything. We get our clothes. And, and since it was, there wasn't a light on in the entire village, it was dark. And so we just took our clothes off and got our soap and shampoo, and we headed off into the river. And then they decided we needed light. <laughs> so somehow they started the generator and got a spotlight <laughs> down there on the river. And here we are in the water. Um, Unable to get out of the water and uh, waiting for someone to fetch our clothes so, or a towel or something so that we could, um, we could get to bed. Um, I'll never forget it that night. As we, um, as we went to bed that night, um, along the porch, the people seemed to be mostly a little bit afraid of us, the foreigners. And um, I'll never forget along the uh, we, we're, lit, we're sort of in the middle of the longhouse, and um, if we're sleeping right out there in front of those doors, you see, and probably 50 feet away, on both sides of us on the porch, the people were lined up, stacked up is a better way of saying it. The little faces down here, the bigger faces and bigger faces and bigger faces. There's a solid wall of faces. They were there when we went to sleep. They were there when we woke up. For all I know, they were there all night. I don't know. <laughs> But they wanted to see how white people slept. <laughs> and um, we, spent a, we spent the day there in that village of Sabbath, and we were doing some clinics and different things. And um, then Sabbath afternoon, we, there were so many people. We were trying to help. And, 
it was getting later and later and finally our guide said you know we really have to move because we we're supposed to be in another village that night well the question we had to ask of our guide was <clears throat> how far is the next village that sounds like a reasonable question right and the only answer we ever got was one cigarette that's how far the next village was away, one cigarette. And um, later we concluded that in that part of Malaysia, they have some very, very long burning cigarettes. Because <laughs> it took us, we left, is probably a half hour before sundown. I think it took us about three hours to get there. Now the problem was that our fearless leader, he had a, a torch like on the end of a bamboo stick or something. And it was meant to run, run about as long as a cigarette, I think. And um, the rest of us, I don't know if there was 15 or 20 of us probably, and um, we probably had a flashlight for every four, five, or six maybe people. The rest of us didn't have flashlights. Now these trails, you, you know, you, you think of places where rice is growing as being flat and muddy, right? These, this was steep and muddy. Like these hills were like, they grew, they grew rice on the sides. Like this was a variety of rice that didn't require water or something. It was just like on the sides of the mountain. And, and your, these trails went up and down. Now, of course, if, you know, it rained fairly often. So the trails were very slick and muddy. And um, you know, we'd all be carefully inching, mostly in the dark, down one of these very steep precipices, not knowing what's below us, you know, and just going down, 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 and then the person in the back would lose their footing, and you know, the whole bunch would end up in a pile at the bottom, and we'd just be a big jumbled, muddy mess. And every once in a while, as you're going down the down the trail, you'd hear the night air just punctuated by a piercing scream of of someone who had either stepped in something they didn't expect to step in, or had fallen and um, were covered in, in mud from head to toe. And um, on that trip, I gained, the for the first time, I really gained the understanding of what it means to have a light for your feet. And, um, you know, the Bible is, is called, it's referred uh, in, the, in Psalm 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Those who had a flashlight were infinitely better off than those who did not have a flashlight. Um, if you were relying upon the light of, of the beam of light from someone behind you who might have just fallen into a creek or something, and by the way, we waded through rivers that were like waist deep in the dark. Um, it, it's, not, it's not a real, um, eh, eh, well, it's not a real delightful experience. Um, and um, we, we, we gained the appreciation for lights I remember I had a flashlight. My flashlight made it just, it, when we got to the next village, it died on me. And I was saying, praise the Lord, um, we had light. And um, <clears throat> that may sound extreme, you know, trekking in the jungles of, of Malaysia at night. Um, of course we need a light. But I really wonder if our spiritual eyes were opened, if we wouldn't see the world in which we're living today as being just as treacherous and fearful a place as the jungles in Borneo. I'm talking about spiritually, right? If our eyes were open so we could see the dangers around us, the pitfalls, the, the crevasses and the cliffs over which our spiritual life could slip, if we wouldn't be just as alarmed at the idea of traveling through this journey of life 
without the spiritual light that God wants us to have. And um, it's not just a matter of it's not just a matter of convenience. It's a matter of our soul's eternal destiny. You know, I meant to bring my book, great, the great controversy, over here tonight, but there's a there's a there's a passage which keeps coming to my mind as I see the events that are taking place around us today. Um, the, the great controversy says that that um, the, the deceptions before us are going to be so subtle and so um, so intense that only through the Holy Scriptures will be we be able to discern between the track of truth and the track of falsehood. They'll be so close together. It'll sound right. It'll look right. It'll probably smell right. But it's not right. And the only way we know is by the Word of God. Um, so closely will the counterfeit resemble the true, is the way she says it there in the Great Controversy. That will be impossible to distinguish between them, except by the Holy Scriptures. Like, we can't just say, well, I grew up in an Adventist home, and so I've got a good foundation, you know, I understand truth, and I'll know when deception comes. I'll know, I'll recognize the mark of the beast, I'll recognize last day events. I grew up in an Adventist home, you know, I heard, no. The devil's far too wise and cunning and smart for that. He's going to make it so difficult to understand that we need the Holy Bible. We need God's Word as a light, lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. Now, I, I say that and I want to stop for a moment and I want to say I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to encourage you to make the Bible the light for your feet. Because as long as we have the Word of God um, as our guide, we don't need to be afraid. The Bible says here, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to who? To the really bright people that spend their whole lives studying. Is that what it says? It says to the simple. It, no matter who you are, no matter how educated I am, no matter how um, intelligent I may be or not be, God's word is able to give understanding to all of us. We don't have to be worried about it. It's not something we should be, uh, you know, terrified of the last days because I don't know if I'm going to understand the Bible. I don't know if I'm going to know the difference between deception and, well, if we're not saying our Bibles, we should be terrified. But if we are making the Word of God our, our guide, if we're spending time in His Word, we're studying His Word, if we're, if, we're, if we're wanting to be surrendered and submitted to His Word and we find things in His Word that we don't like or we don't agree with or we don't really want to obey or, or it doesn't really match our worldview or whatever the situation may be, we're willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing to follow Your Word. I'm willing to follow Your Word even when it conflicts with my convenience or my ideas or my customs, my traditions, what I've always said. Even if I have to eat humble pie, I want to follow Your Word. And if we have that mentality, listen, it's not something that we have to be, you know, we have to, oh, I need to go get a Ph.D. in eschatology and, and theology and, and symbology and, and all, these, all these doctorates to be able to. No, God's Word gives understanding to the simple. Because the Holy Spirit is our teacher when we spend time in God's Word. It doesn't matter if you've just started. It doesn't matter if you've been doing it your whole life and you're 80 years old. God's Word is able to teach you today what you need to know today. And God's promises are sure. You know, I love the promise that says that um, God is faithful, who will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. You know, some people tell me, he said, Chester, you know, um, I, in fact, I had a church member recently tell me, you know, I grew up in the Adventist church and I'm still, she's, she's probably 70, 
five years old. She says, I'm just so scared of the last days. I'm just afraid of the end of time. I said, why are you afraid of the end of time? Well, just, you know, it's just going to be it's scary, you know, the time of trouble and, and deception. It's just scary. And I said, well, look, is God able to take you through the problems or the trials or the temptations that you have today? Well, yeah. Well, what makes you think that He's not going to be able to take you through those then? You know, as far as I'm concerned, the main problem for God's people in the last days is not physical torture or, or, or uh, persecution. The main challenge for us is for us to stay connected with Jesus and faithful to Him and to His Word, to truth. Okay, that's, the, that's where the deception is. Now, oh, well, how I know all of those things the last... Listen, God can teach me today what I need to know today. He can teach me tomorrow what I need to know tomorrow. As long as I'm learning today what I need to learn today and tomorrow what I need, need to learn tomorrow, you know, in essence, in essence, we're all the same, aren't we? We all have the same human nature. And if you could just boil temptation or struggle with sin down to its most basic elements, we all have the same struggle. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I may be struggling with one thing because I'm a brand new Christian and I've just gotten off of drugs or alcohol or, or whatever, the, um, whatever the temptation is, and I've got to struggle with this, and, and addictions may be a, a story all their own, but, but, but I've got, I've, I have this struggle. I have, you may have been a Christian your whole life, and your struggle is over thinking thoughts about, you know, negative thoughts about the weather today. That's your struggle right now. You know, you're trying to overcome. Like, it's just, it's perfect except, you know, it's a little too breezy and um, you need to overcome those negative thoughts. And um, you're, you're, you're right there, right next to, you know, you're ready to be sealed for, for, for salvation, right? But you're struggling with your thoughts. And I really appreciate what Jane shared about struggling with our thoughts because um, it's so true. It's so true. I'm being extreme here, okay? I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying that, that ultimately we have the same struggle. So if my struggle today, if God is able to help me overcome it today, then He's going to help me overcome it then. And, 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 and it, there's, no, there's nothing magical about the devil's power then that he doesn't have now. And praise God if we're spending time with Him and, and, we're, and we're keeping close to Him now, we're going to be close to Him then and we'll have even more strength and power than we have now. It might be even easier for us to overcome then than it, does, than it is for us now. We shouldn't be worried about it unless we're not overcoming now. Well, then we should be worried. If we don't know Jesus now, then it's not going to get any easier. We might as well, you know, um, tomorrow never comes, and it doesn't, you know, you, you're never going to be any younger, and it's never going to get any easier for you to start living for Jesus. And... Um, you know, I was explaining this to my church member. She says, why hasn't anyone ever told me? I've been an Adventist all my life, and no one ever told me that I didn't need to be afraid of the time of the end. I didn't need to be afraid of the time of trouble. As long as I'm walking with Jesus, I don't need to worry about the, the persecution. Well, what if, what if they come to get me? Well, what if they come to get you? What can they do to you? You know? Um, the Bible's pretty clear that after the, and, and as well as the Spirit of Prophecy, that God's people are going to be delivered, okay? While there's going to be persecution, can't buy or sell, there's going to be a death decree. The death decree is never going to be carried out. There's going to be some martyrs, I'm sure, along the way. 
We're going to have some suffering. But, I mean, after all, our bread and our water is going to be sure. Gluten-free bread for me. <laughs> um, it doesn't say a four-course meal, you know. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't say we're going we're gonna to have ice cream for dessert. Um, but our food is going to be... We're even promised that angels will be with us, right? And um, the way Ellen White describes, she says, angels will take us by the hand and lead us to places of safety and hiding. She, in one place, she describes angels appearing in the form of men of war. Can you imagine that? My imagination goes wild. You know, I just sort of get a little carried away sometimes. But can you imagine, you know, these special forces, Delta troops, trying to track us down in the wilderness? And these angels show up like special forces troops, but they can go boom between that tree and that tree, and, you know, bullets never bounce off of them and all this stuff. And these guys are looking for us, and they're like, who are these people protecting them? Like, who, how in the world are they teleporting from that rock to that tree to this? And and bullets are bouncing off of them, and they're catching hand grenades and throwing them back. And I mean, I mean, it's just going to be amazing, you know? Just amazing. Like, why are we... In some ways, I sort of look forward to this. This is going to be, like, incredible, incredible. Like, don't be afraid of the last days. That's what I'm trying to say. Amen. Don't be afraid. Jesus is our strong arm. He's our protector. I mean, he parted the Red Sea after all. He, he, you know, he, 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 he made Jericho's walls fall down from wa walking around it seven times, you know? I mean, we don't need to worry about those things. What we need to worry about is today. That's all I can do anything about. Live for Jesus today. Hide His words in my heart today. If we want to grow spiritually, we need to go to the source of understanding. No, nobody... Be, nobody uh, arrives at the NFL or the NBA, and they say, man, I made the draft, I'm here, I'm now getting the paycheck, I'm on the roster, and um, I don't need to practice anymore. I've spent my whole life practicing and studying, I don't need to practice anymore. How long are they going to stay effective? Not at all, right? Um, no, one, no one makes it to medical school and says, whew, I'm glad I studied hard for those MCATs. Now I don't have to study anymore. Um, you wouldn't make it through medical school or dental school if you had that. And the reality is that sometimes we, we prepared for baptism or we prepared to become a member of the church, and then we think, well, I made it. I understand the 20, 27, 28 fundamental beliefs. I've got that all in my back pocket. Now I've got it, and I don't need to worry about it. I grew up, I went to Adventist schools, whatever it is, and we go about our daily lives taking our spiritual life really for granted as if we can just sort of coast on what we've done in the past. And um, this is a temptation that we have. If we want to grow as Christians, we must be constantly learning and growing. We talked the other night about two things we must know. And um, those two things were how to know ourselves better and how to know Jesus better. And I would propose to you this evening that there's only one way we really know those two things, and that's when we spend time in God's Word. We don't just think about it by, you know, driving along, looking at the clouds and saying, wow, thank you, Jesus. I appreciate, you know, all of those good things. Um, we can be meditating and praying anytime, but really we understand more about ourselves and about God's word and about God, God's character, as we spend time in his word. Um, there's no substitute. You can't, you can't do anything else. I mean, I suppose as we spend time in nature, we also come to know God's character better. Um, but... But for knowing ourselves, we really need to spend time in 
God's Word. To overcome the unconscious influences that shape our view of God, we must go directly to the source. We must go to the Word of God. And of course, Jesus was the Word. Remember that? The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And this is the living Word. And by the way, why did He come? Why was He made flesh? And uh, why did He come to dwell upon us? And in that same chapter in John, He says, He came to, he came to reveal the character of the Father. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son of God, who is in the image of God, He has is, he is revealed Him. He is begotten of God. And so this is a, this is a um, I'm, I'm slaughtering that as I paraphrase it, so let me just read that verse 2, John chapter 1. The beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, as the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld His glory. That's the glory of the Word. But it's the, glory is a code word for character, by the way, in the Bible, right? And so, so we beheld Jesus' character, but it's not just His character. It says He's the, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we skip down to verse... Um, Verse 18, no man has seen God that the Father at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So Jesus came to show us the character of God, right? And in His life and His death, He revealed to us the character of God. Oh, we could, we could, we could talk about this great controversy. You know, there's many different, um, many different angles or perspectives we can describe salvation and the great controversy with. But one of the perspectives that you can describe the great controversy is the battle between two characters, the character of selfishness and the character of unselfishness. Lucifer says, I, 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 right? And he wants to take over the, he wants to receive the glory and the praise and the adulation that only belongs to God. And God is willing to say, I'm going to demonstrate what my character is like. I'm going to take the form of a servant become made in the likeness of men. I'm going to take the weakness of humanity after 4,000 years of sin, not because I want any praise, but because I want to be a servant of servants, the least of the least. And then he's going to go to the cross, and while Satan is, is inciting the mob, and while Satan's hatred is just, his invectives of fury is just being directed towards Jesus, the watching universe sees at, on full display the two characters involved in the great controversy, the character of selfishness and the character of unselfishness, the character of, 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 um, of self-love and the, self, the character of agape love. And in ultimately, the whole restoration of this universe is intended to bring, it about, bring about, once again, only love in the universe, right? only unselfishness. And you and I, following this perspective of salvation through, you and I right now are being trained to live in a world that is free from selfishness. If selfishness were ever to arise in our hearts again, it would doom the universe. It's not going to happen. Nahum 1 verse 9 says, affliction shall not rise up the second time. And sometimes we ask, well, why is God taking so long? Well, listen, some of us need to become sick of selfishness. So sick of selfishness that a million, billion, trillion, gazillion years goes by and never once would we want anything selfish to enter into our lives because the universe is going to be unselfish. It's going to be agape love. You read the, read the Conflict of the Ages series. It starts with God as love. It ends with the restored in universe 
God is love. The point of salvation is to bring us, the point of our experience here in this world is to bring us where we're separated from selfishness, sin and selfishness, sin and self-seeking. And that's the whole point. So we need to overcome the, uh, the influences that we have. How do we do this? A couple of verses I'll just share with you really quickly as we go on. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, um, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, it's very interesting here. We see, once again, that, that word glory, right? What does glory stand for in the, in the Bible? When we see the word glory, what's it talking about? It's talking about character. So we see the light of the knowledge of the character of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I mean, after all, we don't even know what Jesus looked like, right? I mean, we've got paintings of him. We've got one right up there. Um, but by, I think that's John Steele's uh, idea of what Jesus looked like. But is that really what he looked like? We don't know. So why would God say here, or Paul say here in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, that, that the, the light shines out of darkness, shines into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's look at a couple other verses. As we look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, we see a prominent feature that John saw in the face of Jesus Christ, right? And out of his mouth goes forth a what? A sharp sword. So how do we, this is, a, this is symbolic language. This isn't talking about literal language, but if we were to have the light of the knowledge of, of the glory of God from the face of Jesus Christ, we see here in the face of Jesus Christ, we see there's a sharp sword, don't we? Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. What does that sword represent? Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? So in the face of Jesus Christ, as we spend time focusing on Jesus Christ, we cannot separate the face of Jesus Christ from the Word of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? The Word of God is how we understand the glory of the character of God. That's how the light shines out of darkness. I appreciate so much what Janet was talking today, saying today about the genealogy of Jesus. I think that is a perfect illustration of how God commands light to shine out of darkness. And let me tell you, it gives me great hope. Because if God can cause light to shine out of darkness, and that genealogy in Jesus is born, the light of the world, then there's hope for me. Because this dark heart has hope in the hands of Jesus. God causes light to shine out of darkness, and, and it's in the face of Jesus, and in the face of Jesus we find the Word of God. You cannot separate the face of Jesus, the knowledge of His character, from the Word of God. Ephesians 6, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, this is a very sharp sword that Paul is talking about here. It's a, a sword that can do very delicate surgery. We've got a couple of uh, ophthalmologists here, and that's one thing that I have never been able to comprehend, how you can do surgery in somebody's eye. It just blows my mind. Maybe I have to see one someday. I don't know. Um, but that's just amazing to me. And how sharp of a knife would you have to be to, to reshape a lens or to, to replace the corneas and all these types of things. And, 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 but yet this is exactly what Paul is saying. The Word of God is so sharp, it's able to cut out the cancer without cutting the good stuff. The Word of God is able to go right there where it needs to, ha needs to be cut. 
And um, there, each of us have cancers in our lives, tumors, sin has caused, scars that sin has caused, and we need the Word of God to do that cutting. And the cutting is not always pleasant. It's, not all, it's, it's often painful. That's the, that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Um, although I suppose, the, I suppose the Lord has His own anesthesia. I don't know how far we're going to go in this, in this uh, symbology. But, uh, but the, Lord, the Lord cuts to heal, doesn't He? He doesn't afflict the sons of men willingly. He, wants only, he only cuts out what He needs to cut out. And the purpose is to heal us, to make us whole again, to make us well, to make us healthy, to make us strong. And the Word of God is able to do that. The Word of God is not only um, demonstrated or um, described as, a, as, a, um, as an instrument of surgery. It's also um, described as an agent of cleansing. I want to look at three passages in the Bible from, with you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me first to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. I love this passage because um, it's a promise. And um, you're probably familiar with it. It's probably the most... Um, the most familiar verse that we know in the book of Ezekiel. That doesn't say a lot um, because we tend not to be very familiar with Ezekiel, don't we? <laughs> At least it seems like it. Um, I'm, I'm not even as familiar with Ezekiel as I am with many other books. So Ezekiel chapter 36. Notice with me verse 20, 25. I'm sorry. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from your idols will I cleanse you. Does that sound like good news? I mean, the other night we were talking about surrendering everything, right? Even idols. Do you ever find that struggle to be difficult? I mean, for me it is. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us to do that on our own? This is His promise of what He will do for us. I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And you will be clean from all your filthiness, from your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Sounds a lot like conversion, doesn't it? And verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. The question then arises, how does God sprinkle us with clean water? We want that. I want that, right? I want that cleansing from my filthiness. I want that cleansing from my idols. What is he talking about? Notice with me John chapter 15 and verse 3. John chapter 15 and verse 3. Jesus explains it. And I, I think there's enough verses along this same vein that I can say this is a teaching of Scripture. It's not just something that we are cherry-picking out from here or there. What's that clean water that is sprinkled upon us? John chapter 15 verse 3. Now he says you are clean... Through, what does he say? The word which I have spoken unto you. So the cleansing, the sprinkling of clean water, it's not something that he just does without our cooperation. It's something that you and I need to engage in. We need to have an experience with God's word because it's through the word that we are washed, right? One more verse, and I think this will sort of wrap it up as far as this concept is concerned. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Of course, um, we are familiar with this passage talking about Christ and the church, a simile uh, between 
um, husband and wife. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the what? By the word. So this, this is something that God promises to do, but he promises to do as we spend time in his word. Like we have to spend that time. We have to have that cooperation in order to be changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. So the Word of God reveals to us the character of God. The Word of God reveals to us our own character. Remember, those are the two things we need to know in order to be saved. The Word of God also, if we surrender to the what the Word of God reveals to us about ourselves and Jesus, it actually is the agent by which we are transformed more and more into the very image and character of God. Um, we talked last night of the metaphor between of wax and clay. We have a choice when we come upon the Word of God as to what we will do with it. Let me just, um, let me just give you some, some very simple tips and pointers. Now, I know some, some of you, but maybe all of you, have a, have a devotional life and experience, and I'm sure we can all learn from each other. You know, I'm sure that um, you have tips and ideas that, that I could be benefited from. But I want to just share with you a couple of things that I've learned about how to study the Bible. And um, first of all, make it a habit. Um, there needs to be, it needs to be a priority if it's going to happen. I struggle sometimes. I'll be honest with you. I struggle sometimes um, making it a habit, finding a set time of day um, when I can spend time, quality time with God. Um, especially if my, ha- if my schedule is changing a lot. I find it to be difficult. Um, sometimes it's easier for me to go to the office. It used to be that I, I spent, um, I could read when I woke up. I woke up, I, I was always a morning person, and I would wake up and I'd be wide awake, and I could read my Bible and, um, and have a quality time with God. It's harder and harder for me to do that early in the morning. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or older or, or what the real issue is, but you have to have a, you have to have a set time that, or a set part of the day um, or part of your schedule in which you're going to spend time in the Word of God. And it needs to be a habit that you protect. The second thing I want to sh- share with you is to make it a conversation. Um, so it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes you'll start reading the Word of God and you might say, well, it's sort of boring. As, as Janet was saying, sometimes it's just like I'm not getting anything out of it. One thing that has really helped me as I try to study the Word of God is I have, I, have, I have come to see that it's not so much I need to have prayer time and then I need to have study time. I need to have prayer and study time. It makes it a lot easier for me if I make those two combined. And so I'm praying about what I'm reading. I'll give you an example in just a minute, but this is sort of what I, this is sort of how I, how I feel that it's most effective for me is when I spend time in God's Word and I pray about it. Now, the more you've memorized, the more you can do this, even if you don't have a Bible in front of you, because you can have, you can be praying in the Word of God and, and reciting the things you've memorized and, and then praying about those passages. But let me just, let's just look at a verse um, randomly, I guess. Um, let's, let's just look at, in John chapter, um, let's say we work in John chapter 9. And, um, and I begin reading here in John chapter 9, and um, it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, if I'm thinking about what I'm reading, and I'm making this a, I'm making this a, a, um, a thoughtful conversation, I'm going to stop, and I'm, every once in a while I'm going to stop, and I'm saying, what am I reading, right? What am I, what am, what's Jesus talking about? What's happening here? Um, what is his disciples doing? His disciples are judging, aren't they? They're saying, this man must have done something to deserve what he's getting. And how can I make this a conversation? Well, when I see that, my natural instinct, when I read the Bible, I'll just be honest, it prob probably someone else's too, my natural instinct when I read about the children of Israel murmuring in the, in the wilderness, or when I read about the disciples being slow to understand, or when I read about you fill in the blank, my natural inclination is for me to assume that I wouldn't do that. When the reality is I probably would have done that. And um, so automatically I have something to pray about here. Lord, do I judge people? Am I guilty of looking at people, seeing their appearances, and making value judgments about their spiritual qualities? I almost feel that I am. I'm guilty of it. You know? I mean, you just don't think that. that I remember one time when I was canvassing. I, well, oh, um, I was canvassing, and I walked into this video store, um, and... Um, the guy behind the desk had a, um, all different colored hairs and multi multiple piercings. I mean, it looked like he had been too close to a grenade when it went off or something, and, and tattoos. And, and I, I'm thinking, there's no way he's interested in my books, you know. And I, I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll canvas him on a health book, you know. So I, I pull out a cookbook or something, and he wasn't interested in the cookbook. And then I come out with Steps to Christ for Great Controversy, and he couldn't get enough of that. I think he bought like three or four message books, you know, and I'm thinking, I am such a poor judge of someone's spiritual interest. And the disciples here are judging. Is that something for me to pray about? Yeah. Now, I haven't studied this passage recently, and I didn't prepare for this. I'm just saying this is how I would read the Bible, and I, it's, it's a conversation with me and God to talk about what I've just read from this verse. Verse 3 says, Jesus answered, neither is this man sin nor his parents but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Now, this is a puzzling verse. You might want to do a little bit of a verse study here if you got to this verse. You say, are you kidding me? God, God had this man born blind so that he could come along later and heal him? Just so he could demonstrate his power? Like, that's a lot of suffering for him and his parents. Just so Jesus could waltz along one day and say, oh, I'll heal you. Um, is that what this verse is saying, that the works of God might be manifest in him? It's very interesting here that um, I don't think that's what that means. In fact, I, I came to understand this um, differently. Um, when you look back a few verses, if you had read John through already, you might have been familiar with this, but John chapter 6 and verse 29. Notice with me John chapter 6 and verse 29. This is the key to understanding what this verse means. Um, it says in John 6 and verse 29, This is the work of God that ye what? believe on him whom he has sent. So in John chapter 9, when it says, neither is this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, this isn't so God can get glorified by coming along and healing a blind man. He needs to create blind people so that he can heal them. Um, this is so that 
when Jesus comes along, the works of God can be manifest in him, meaning he can find the path to salvation. In other words, God allows difficulties, trials, even misfortunes, even disasters to come into our lives because he wants to save us for eternity. So we can pray about that, can't we? We can say, God, help me to realize that even through the negative things that happen in my life, you want the works of God to be manifest in me. That's your purpose of allowing these things to happen. Help me today when I come up to difficulties and trials, not to take myself out of your, your will and to blame you or complain or become angry. I remember one day I was very angry at Southwest Airlines. And um, I, it was, I, I, I promised on that day I wouldn't fly on Southwest Airlines again, and I've almost kept that promise. I think I've flown three flights since then. And it's been 20 years. Um, but I remember my mom had taken me to the airport, and what happened is I got to the airport, and I checked in my bag, and the guy said at the counter, he said, you know, you're, you're a little late. Um, you know, you're just before the deadline, so um, your bag might not make it on this flight to Chicago. You might be on the next flight. I said, okay, well, you know, Little Rock's a little airport, so I head up to the gate, and I didn't stop along the way. I didn't get any food. I didn't stop. I just went, there was a short line for security. I went up through there. I didn't run, but I mean, you know, it's 200 yards. So I get through security. I run to the gate. I get to the gate, and um, the lady says, I'm sorry, the flight's closed. And I said, what? She said, yeah, flight closes 10 minutes before we take, you know, your seat's been taken, whatever. I'm like, it's, it's not even 10 minutes before. Well, my watch it is, you know, and your flight's closed, you're off. <laughs> and um, the, the, the bag made it to Chicago, but I didn't. <laughs> and, um, and I wasn't happy. I mean, I had to wait for two or three hours, end of the world, right? And um, I wasn't happy. I was complaining and, and moaning and, and my I never forget. My mom was. We, were, we decided to go eat lunch or something. I don't remember since I had this time. And and she she said Chester, after she listened to me for a while, she said Chester, I gave my day to God this morning. I'm not about to take it back now. Hmm. How often do I take it back? I surrender my day to God, my will to God, my life to God. But when he's he allows something or sends me something that I don't really approve of, then I allow myself. I'll, I'll be honest with you. The Bible says, you know, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying your faith or patience and so forth is your character development. I have wasted so many trials. There's no character development, zero. Because I didn't take them as trials coming from the hand of God to refine my character and rejoice in them. I blamed, I complained, I got upset, I got angry, I, I bemoaned, I felt sorry for myself, I, you know, all the above. And um, if we want to grow in grace, we've got to accept those trials that come. The reason this man is born blind, you think he's going to come to the eternity and he's going to have this grudge, this chip on his shoulder against Jesus. He's say, Jesus, you had me born blind. You allowed me to be born blind. If God knew that that was the one way that he and his family could be saved throughout eternity, you think he's going to be angry about it? What's 30 years being blind if you're saved for all of eternity, right? Um, what's, what's two and a half hours waiting at the airport or whatever? Um, I mean, our trials are so small. I feel embarrassed to talk about them. <laughs> I mean, we have so many 
first world trials. You know, my microwave's so slow, it's not instant. You know? <laughs> um, we, we really need to learn. And so pray through this verse, right? That, you see what I'm talking about? Make it a conversation. You don't have to spend hours and hours reading many, many books of the Bible every morning. Talk to God thoughtfully about what he's trying to say to you. If you don't understand what he's saying to you, pray about it. Ask God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to, how can I apply this? There's different acronyms we could use. Is there a promise I can claim? Is there a, is there a sin I should overcome? Is there a, an example that I should follow? Um, there's, there's different questions you can ask ourselves to make it thoughtful. And um, finally, I would say make decisions. When we study God's Word, it's not good enough just to put it here. We need to make some decisions. Today, I'm going to do something different because of my time with Jesus. Today, I'm going to try to go throughout this day without taking my life back and getting angry about the problems that come to my way, the things that people do that I don't agree with. I'm going to allow it. I want to ask God to help me to keep, that I might keep myself in His hands, that I might keep myself in Him. Um, in St. Louis, back in the, in the oh, over 100 years ago, um, Dwight L. Moody was asked to come and to do an evangelistic series. And um, um, as he, as he, as he, came, he was actually told that, that the, the St. Louis newspaper, it was um, the Post-Dispatch, as I recall, um, was going to be running a transcript of his evangelistic series in the next morning's paper. So Dwight Moody said, look, I'm going to fill God's Word with, I'm going to fill my sermons with as much Bible text as possible, because Dwight knew something. The Word of God has more power than our words. So he filled his sermons with God's Word. And in jail in um, St. Louis was a man by the name of Valentin Burke. And Valentin was a career criminal. He had been in jail 27 times, various different uh, municipalities and, and uh, county and state and city jails. He had, he had been in many of them. And 27 different times he'd been incarcerated. He was a hardened criminal. Of course, he didn't believe in God. And he was there in jail. And one morning with his morning of breakfast, the, uh, the jailer threw him a copy of the newspaper. Well, on the newspaper, there was a title, um, a, a, a headline, subheadline, that said how the jailer in Philippi got caught. Well, Valentin said, huh, I've been in jail in Philippi, Missouri. I know that jailer. I want to see what he did and how he got caught. So he turns to the page where the article is supposed to be, and he begins reading how the jailer in Philippi got caught, and he finds out that it's a sermon from some evangelist from Chicago. And um, Valentin was not interested in reading his sermon, so he threw the newspaper down. But there's something about that that kept bugging him as he went around his cell. I guess he couldn't get very far away from it. Um, after a while, he goes over and he picks up that newspaper. And before long, he's reading again that sermon. And then he realized, what am I doing? You know, I'm reading a sermon. He'd throw the newspaper down. And, and this continued throughout the day. In fact, it continued into the night. By late that night, Valentin had read that sermon. In fact, he'd read it several times. And the Holy Spirit had gotten a hold of Valentin Burke's heart. And Valentin gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Now, the story 
It doesn't end there. The jailers began to see a difference in the way he, just his face, his facial expressions were different. He looked different. He treated them differently. He talked different. They noticed there was something different. He claimed that he had gotten Christianity, gotten religion. Of course, they questioned whether it was real. I mean, he had done so many ploys and tricks. And, and um, he got out of jail eventually, and, and um, he determined he was going to live the Christian life, that he wasn't going to go back to his life of crime and sin. And so he, um, he tried to get a job, he, he, um, he, but he didn't know how to do anything except break the law. I mean, he, wasn't, he didn't have any skills, and he tried in St. Louis to get a job, and he couldn't. And finally said, I'm going to go to New York. And weeks went by, another, another few weeks in New York, living with his sister. He tried to find work there, couldn't find work there. Finally, he's getting discouraged. He comes back to St. Louis, and he gets a, met a message from the sheriff's office. They, know, they want to talk to him. Now, with a heavy heart, Valentin went in to talk to the sheriff, assuming that one of his past crimes had caught up with him again. And um, the sheriff took him into his office, and he said, Valentin, um, what have you been doing since you got out of jail? These probably wouldn't be legal questions today, but back then they were. Um, what have you been doing since you got out of jail? He said, well, I've been, I've been looking for a job. I've been trying to find work. Um, he told him about going to New York, living with his sister, come back, still didn't find a job. Have you, have you remained, remained true to your religion that you found while you're here in, here in jail? Valentin said, you know, Jesus has been faithful to me. I want to be faithful to him. And the sheriff said something that really caught Valentin by surprise. He said, I know what you're saying is true because we thought you were just faking it. So the last six weeks since you were released from jail, we've had a detective trailing you. And we believe you're really different. We have an opening for a deputy. And we want to offer you a job. And Valentin Burke, who was known as one of the most uh, famous criminals in the St. Louis area, became a sheriff's deputy. And, um, but that isn't the end of the story. The end of the story goes on. Um, many years later, some years later, um, he was an older man by this time. Another evangelist was scheduled to come to St. Louis to hold a campaign. And um, at the last minute, he couldn't come. He canceled. The venue was already arranged. The advertising was already sent out. They looked around. They said, who can we ask to preach a series? And though he wasn't a preacher, someone had the idea of asking Valentin Burke, the one who had been found by the newspaper article, how the jailer Philippi got caught. They asked him to preach the evangelistic series. And some of the toughest criminals in St. Louis came out night after night to hear him give his testimony and to preach. And many, many were converted to Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's power in God's word to change lives. There's power in God's word. We need to spend time in God's word. Spend time um, uh, studying. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you will do it. But I just want to encourage you. Make time for God on a daily basis to speak to you through His Word. It's really simple. Two things you need to know. You need to know yourself. You need to know Jesus. But it only happens. That only happens. That cleansing only happens as we spend time in His Word. Father in Heaven, I just want to pray. I want to pray that You would give me a, 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 a better experience in Your Word each day. I want to pray for everyone here, Lord. I don't know where they come from. Some of them Many of them, maybe all of them, spend regular time with you. 
But I know how the devil works, and I know how life is, and I just want to pray that somehow that each one of us might, might make it a habit to spend thoughtful time conversing with you, spending time in your word, learning how you can change our lives. Lord, we need miracles. I need a miracle in my life each day. I need to be converted anew. I need to be sprinkled with that clean water. I need that new heart of flesh put in me and the stony heart taken out. I need to be given uh, freedom from my idols and filthiness. I need to be cleansed, Lord. I, I want the washing of water by the Word. And, and Lord, I just pray that every single one of us might leave this camp meeting, Not even, maybe not even wait until we leave camp meeting, but that this coming year might be a time when we are just immersed in your word, in your, in your, in your message to us. Lord, it may, be, it may be first thing in the morning. It may be during our lunch break or other breaks. It may be that uh, on top of the time we spend to you that we can begin keeping a, a Bible verse in our pocket to memorize or a, Bible, a pocket Bible or a Bible app or um, on the hour spending some time reading your word. I don't know what it is, but I just pray that we might spend more time in your word. And when we do, we don't need to worry about what's coming tomorrow. Um, you're going to take us through the d today, and if we're with you at the end of today, we know that you can take us through tomorrow too. And um, we want to be ready for you when you come. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.